Hey, Misfits, just a reminder that today's episode was recorded live February 4th, 2023, prior to the release of the Christianity Today article. That is why the article is not mentioned at all during our conversation. So we hope that you will still enjoy today's episode and that you will still be able to gather the spirit of reconciliation that we highlighted with Meg Wise. Hey everybody, we're live. That's right, this is the first time in a while, which is nice. Yeah, it's actually not been a full year. It's been, I don't know how long it's been. It's been about a year. Anyway, we're live. We're here. It's a Saturday night, right? Yep, Saturday night. Saturday night. Should we, we say live from New York? Should we say that? Yeah, it's Saturday live, night live. Live from Canton now. It's Saturday night live here with the Misfits. That's what everybody wants for Saturday night live is for the Misfits to take it over. That's right. So, yeah, we're here. Hopefully, going to have a good time. This is a little bit of a heavier topic. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a more emotional topic. Yeah, and for some, it might also resonate personally yes with some others as well probably for most it's going to resonate a little bit personally because we are talking tonight about what it actually means to leave a local church and a local church body local church family however you want to actually say it that's what it is that we're going to be talking about tonight i've had to do it both from a congregation standpoint and from a professional standpoint Mm mm-hmm You've had to do it from a congregational standpoint and kind of almost sort of a professional standpoint. Yeah, a little bit. A little yeah. bit here and there. But our guest has somehow found herself almost being the poster child for this. And she really doesn't even know how she got to that point, but she <laughs> has. And so she is joining us as well to talk about this and to share her story as well. So welcome nomadic soul or as you're actually known meg wise so welcome to the misfits thank you so much for having me yes so (laughs) your favorite part adding in yes small little sounds yeah i I don't know if we warned you i've got a soundboard and i have a little bit (laughs) too much fun playing with it so meg is here we're going to talk a little bit about her story we're going to talk a lot about a major portion of her story And we're also then going to dive in and actually look at what it is that actually makes this such an emotional conversation to have in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if you are joining us live, um, you can let us know you're here in the comment section. Twitter, there may be a little bit more of a delay because we're going to have to keep going back and forth to check. Let us know you're here. If you have any questions for us at any point throughout the show, just leave it in. We'll get to them eventually. Yeah, we'll see how we can weave some of them in to the conversation here today. And for those of you on Twitter that saw Meg's anonymous questionnaire last night, we also have a few from there that hopefully at the end we'll have time to get to as well. So, Meg, though, to start, one thing that we normally do way before we get to this point in the show... But we can't when we're live is we like to hear about your your faith, your testimony and, you know, how how you became a believer. So 
let's start there. What is the story of Meg? Well, um, it actually has so much to do with John MacArthur, which has made deconstructing a whole thing. So um, I was born into an evangelical family. My dad was actually converted from Catholicism to um, Protestantism um, at John MacArthur's church and was very, very involved there as a young person. Um, Met my mom at a Christian school they were both working at, which happened to be the school the MacArthur kids went to. And we had moved away from L.A. by the time I was three or four. I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was around three. I don't remember. Um, I rededicated my life to the Lord when I was around nine, when I started to have more of an understanding of the gospel. Um, And I was baptized when I was around 13 or 14. I was very, very scared of speaking in public. Um, which I have since gotten over. Um, but um, I was a very good kid. I was very um, compliant. I was very obedient. I was a very big people pleaser. Um, I was planning on getting married and being a homemaker and um, stay-at-home mom after I graduated high school. Um, but there was no man. So I decided to go to master's university um, majored in music, which was never the plan. I was never planning on pursuing piano. Um, and graduated, still no husband, um, became a working professional, started a career, started my own business. Um, and eventually met and married my husband at Grace Community Church. He had attended there his entire life. Um, very similar background and testimony to me. Um, And so we were just like very good church kids. Like that's my testimony is not very exciting. Like that's pretty much, that's it. Like it's very like run of the mill millennial grew up in the church testimony. I never had a rebellious streak. I never, I just, I, I don't remember ever not wanting to please Jesus and follow Jesus. Um, so that's, that's, oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing. And I, I think a lot of us discredit some of that um, testimony as well. And to say, oh, it was a little bit easier than. Well, discredit that type of testimony. Yes. Not discredit your Correct. testimony. <laughs> Correct. Because right, unfortunately right, yeah. we know there are people that discredit your testimony regularly that we, we hear from. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yes. But as Andrew was yeah discrediting that type of testimony where it's like oh we didn't have this light bulb moment or this amazing turnaround experience where honestly as i've reflected back on a little bit more i think it's a lot of other people's prayers and other things that god's plan Mm -hmm. has put in place that he's still continuing to fulfill and that is a big part of the testimony there as well Mm -hmm. yeah you know that that whole thing of other people's prayers other people's influences just uh, growing up in a family that is very much about this is what we do as part of our family. All of that stuff, you know, we've talked about it on here before as far as the family aspect of discipleship. You know, um, you know, we did a blog on it after my grandma died. We had um, 
a long conversation with Dr. Linville on this. We did this whole thing with Obi, you know, we even did this with Star Wars. We had this conversation, <laughs> but you know, part of what you identified there also though, is that a lot of it was attached to one individual yep. right off the bat, off the begin at the beginning. Very much so. You have since then, which we will get to this portion of the story here as we go, but you have since then left that church. You're no yep. longer a student at the school. Right. Has is there any part of your testimony that you not necessarily would change, but that you you think maybe needs to be amended a little bit now that you are past that and have kind of deconstructed and reconstructed and are still reconstructing? Is there maybe something of you know an amendment to your original testimony that you think is already here, or is that something that's coming? Well, I would say, and I guess I've never shared my testimony post-deconstruction, so I've never really considered it as being part of my testimony. Um, but I, <laughs> there was a very big reckoning that happened after we left. And so in 2020, we stopped attending when COVID hit, but we didn't officially leave until a year later. Uh, so we waited and waited and interceded and prayed and waited. So um, after I think part of it was happening then, but then in 2021 um, of kind of removing John MacArthur out of my faith and realizing that I didn't need him to be a Christian. And that was like, when I realized I remember the exact moment that I realized that I didn't know what my Christianity would look like without him in it, that I realized what trouble my faith was actually in, that it was so attached to a mere man that that's like, that's really bad. And I know I'm not the only one. And I get a lot of flack about that because people, even from his circles would be like, but you're supposed to have your faith in Jesus. Why didn't you have your faith in Jesus? Like, yes, that's what I thought. But the whole culture surrounding that man demands you to also have faith in him, that he has that absolute truth and the ultimate truth and everyone else is wrong. Like that's a huge part of the culture. And so realizing that like, oh, he was wrong in this. What else was he his, has been wrong about? And all of that, that took a lot of very like emotional reckoning with and also decision like, do I still want to follow Jesus? Um, and kind of hitting rock bottom and saying, yes, I, I still do. Jesus is still the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me, um, even though all of this other crap is kind of been attached you know that that really is where you know we can start even into some of the theology aspect of what this actually is dealing with right here off the bat is that this is this is the point of first corinthians 1 10 through 17 which you know we did the entire we did an entire episode on this mainly because of the fact that I'm tired of there not being anybody actually talking about this section of scripture. <laughs> and this is why we need to actually be talking about this section of scripture. This, for those that don't know, this section of scripture is where Paul has had enough with 
the the division that he's hearing coming out of churches. And so he says, you know, why is there a division among you? Did Paul die for you? Did Apollos rise from the dead? Hmm. Is Jesus divided? You know, you say that you're with Paul. You say you're with Apollos. You say with you're with Jesus. Why are we even having this discussion? Because it's all about Christ. It's the Christocentric model for the church that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And part of why it's so important is because of the fact that when it's not highlighted, we end up hearing stories like what you just shared, where when push comes to shove and he is no the person that you had identified as a major piece of your faith story is gone. Is there actually still something to have faith in there? That is a a major issue for a lot of people that until you actually have to face it, you never actually realize you even have it. Exactly. Yeah, and I think from my personal experience growing up, even with Christian music, I tied right. I tied some of I'll say my faith to the music because it was something I could physically grasp onto, and it was something that like I enjoy music a lot. And so for myself, I was like, I found, I want to say identity is not the right word, but where you start to pick up bits and pieces of scripture, but it's not the full truth, biblical truth. And there's typically people's experiences within their own writing of their songs as well. And so you almost start to idolize a certain band or style of music or and or person, because it's something that you can physically see, follow, right, and have some tangibility to which which is exactly where the whole idea of faith you know we've been talking about this within um our huddle we've talked about this in others as well uh, this idea of faith being something that is unseen Mm -hmm. makes faith very difficult when with everything else that you're seeing around you yes which everything that you've seen around you is where the story starts to get kind of fun in a bad way for you Because you already said that you left the church around the 2020 time. Specifically because of the fact that it is 2020. So (laughs) let's start walking through the story of, you know, what happened as far as you guys no longer being a part of this church. Yes. Um, So COVID hit. And uh, mid-March. And um, my husband and I were very like, we need to take this seriously. Like that was immediately the way that we approached this. Um, His parents are medical professionals. So that was our like approach. Um, I had clients who were in LA public health, they were telling me stuff before stuff was on the news. I had already stockpiled food. Like there was stuff that like I was hearing about from other people. And then when COVID hit, um, Grace Community responded correctly. They, they stopped services. They took everything online. We were having conversations with fellow members and they were good. And we were warning them about um, what it was like to be on a ventilator because my husband was on a ventilator and in a medically induced coma for a week from a different respiratory virus. And so we were warning people about how serious this actually was. And um, people were listening to us and everything was fine. 
And then um, a shift happened at some point. I think it was probably around April or May where it suddenly started to become political and all of these conspiracy theories started coming out and people were starting to be very resistant of the lockdowns and mask mandates and everything. And there was a, a, everything became very political and um, they started talking about opening up the church again. Um, and I remember that a friend um, texted me and said that the elders had um, voted on whether they should open the church or not. And that all of the elders present, that it was a unanimous vote of all the elders present. And I um, had a very emotional re response to that because I knew how serious this was and how serious it could be for people and that people were going to die. Um, and it actually, it has sounded like it was a unanimous vote of all the elders, but it was only elders present. There were several elders who were not present because of the pandemic and they would have voted no. And I do not believe that they are elders anymore. Um, so we kept live streaming. We kept, I sent several texts to several elders who I personally knew um, asking them to please reconsider. Um, I talked to multiple people on staff, where are you getting your public health information? No one would tell me, which was like a huge red flag to me because it certainly wasn't LA public health. It, it wasn't the County. It was somebody, something different. Um, and eventually they, soon after that, they, they opened and, um, they, you know, the County tried to shut them down multiple times. It didn't work. Um, we started hearing of people getting COVID and dying. Um, and it was all through the grapevine. It wasn't, you never heard anything from the pulpit. It, everything was great from the pulpit. Um, there were no outbreaks. Everybody was healthy. Um, and we eventually just stopped live streaming because seeing all of the people in that sanctuary, not masking, not social distancing, nothing like was so emotionally difficult for us um, that we just stopped emotionally couldn't handle it anymore and it was kind of at that point that I was like okay like I don't think things are going to get better um and then it was finally after January 6th happened and I saw that um well to back up a little bit when um Floyd was murdered, seeing a lot of the members' reactions to that and um, criticizing the protests and a very, very political response to that. And then also the response to January 6th and not calling that out. Um, it was after that that I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And so I emailed the church and I said, I would like to revoke my membership. Um, and I got a text from the chair of the elder board who happens to be my dad's best friend, of course. And um, he was like, I heard you guys are leaving. Like, what's going on? Like, how can we help you? And I sent a scathing response back about everything. Never heard back from him until, and keep in mind, I was like about nine months pregnant at this point. Like I was probably about two weeks um, away from giving birth to my pandemic baby. Like it was a lot going on. Um, and I think it was several months later that I got a text from the same man 
saying that um, I needed to stop my crusade against the church um, and that they were all very happy there, like worshiping the Lord and I needed to stop. Um, to which I sent another scathing response and never heard any, <laughs> anything back. Um, so at that point, we were full-time RVing. We weren't even in LA anymore. We had left. We were traveling the West Coast, kind of looking for another place to relocate at that point because we were like, we kind of stayed in LA for Grace Community Church like this long. Like it's very expensive to live there. So we were looking for another place to land and we ended up finding it, which was great. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the story of how we exited. It was a little, I don't want to say anticlimactic because we weren't actually attending. We never like people didn't see us gone because we had already been gone for a year. Um, but it was it was still very painful. Well, and your your story is not that unique which is part of the thing that is so so interesting about all of the hate that you specifically get <laughs> is that you're, you know the the things that you highlighted in the timeline that you highlighted them as far as when all of this was happening is pretty standard across the board for a lot of people that have grown up in evangelicalism you know throughout yes. their lives um, you know you the the thing that kind of puts your story up a little bit is because of the fact that the church you were attending was in the news for a lot of this stuff nationally already. Right. But the story itself is the same thing of where your family was when you said you were, you know, you were pregnant at the time, your husband yep. already had a respiratory virus. Yep. You guys are not in a condition to be able to be in the midst of people in the middle of a pandemic. You're watching and you see a response to a, you know, a murder and the church turning into a political crusade instead of mourning the loss of an image bearer. You see yes. the church response to people potentially dying or at least getting very, very ill. And it turns into a political thing disguised all of it as faith. It was all disguised yes. as faith faith over fear. We don't do this sort of thing, which already brings us back to what you already talked about within your story about the fact that the, the faith side of all of this, as far as what is it that I'm actually believing in considering I cannot see it. It really already has highlighted why this is going to be such an emotional process to begin with. Mm -hmm. This goes beyond just the general, oh, I think I need to discipleship, deconstruct my faith. This is an actual, we need to look at what house we're even in before we deconstruct it. Yep. And I'm curious, Meg, did you and your husband have like community um either like personal relationships that you were constantly still talking to throughout the separation or even like a small group that you were connected with during that time that even made that even mm -hmm. harder to break off or you were having those conversations within that small group? We were both in the choir. Uh, my husband had been in the choir for about 12 years at that point. His mother was in the choir. His grandparents had been in the choir like, um, Choir was our community and it's about a hundred people. It sings every Sunday. Um, we do Christmas concerts. Like it's very, very tight knit. Um, 
And so those were the people that we were having conversations with. And I had had friends from like the college group and college Bible study that I had been in before I married uh, my husband. Um, and so it was, but pr- primarily choir mm-hmm. was the music department. That's where we had met. That uh, was where a lot of, we found a lot of our identity as a couple and as individuals. Nice. And so that that is where we're going to actually start breaking down the emotional response to all of this, um, looking at these different aspects of community, looking at the different aspects of even what church actually is, what a local congregation actually is. All of that stuff is what we're going to we're going to get at. First, though, we do need to take a quick commercial break and then we will we'll be back diving in more to why this is so relevant to just about everybody but yet nobody ever wants to actually talk about it go figure so (laughs) hang with us we'll be right back we'll be right back today's a great day to start your own podcast whether you're looking for a new marketing channel have a message you want to share with the world or just think it'd be fun to have your own talk show Podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online listed on all major platforms within minutes of finishing your first recording. We just switched to Buzzsprout for Season 2 and have immediately noticed the difference. With Buzzsprout, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout and the Misfits want to help you get started. Contact us for a free consultation call, and then visit our affiliate link to get started with Buzzsprout. Using this link not only helps support the Misfits, but it also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card. The teams at Buzzsprout and Ministry Misfits are passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. To find out more, go to www.ministrymisfits.com backslash affiliates. Season 2 of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up. We're here with Meg Wise mm-hmm. at Nomadic Soul, at our Nomadic Soul, depending on where you actually know her from. <laughs> Those are the names that we've got. So we're here. We've been talking about her story in particular. 
and in particular the aspect of the the faith related to the tribalism stuff that we've talked about before on here. Mm-hmm. We talked about her faith just in general as an evangelical kid for the most part. And then also the whole story of 2020, 2021, and what that did for a lot of people during that time. Now, we're going to set that part of the story aside for the moment. We will be back to it. But part of what was highlighted right before we we broke was that the, you know, Brandon, you asked about if there were any small communities. Yeah. Because we all know John MacArthur's church is massive. Mm -hmm. But there are smaller communities that make up these bigger churches all the time, regardless of if they say they're not there. There are small communities. Now, we met in the midst of the pandemic Mm -hmm. because of the fact that we had a small group. Correct. That actually met in the house that now our studio is in. (laughs) I forgot about that. Which is just kind of weird altogether. But. That's how we met. We had community, even though our church did not meet for over a year and a half. Correct. And it was an agreement between our small community that we were going to right continue to meet. And keep it small. Yes. Be careful of what we were doing and being mindful of. And it was also an agreement with the rest of the church because the rest of the church also had small groups. And other than the fact that our leaders are rebels and so we didn't always do what all the other groups were doing. <laughs> Most of the groups all were doing the same curriculum, same studies, same kind of discussions throughout the whole thing. It was still a unified body, mm-hmm. even though we were separated out. I mean, you talked about that your main community there was the choir, the music, yes. all of that. How did it, how was the response once your community realized that you guys were no longer going to be there? Um, there wasn't much of a response, to be honest. Um, I think they saw the writing on the wall um, with us because we had been so vocal, um, speaking out against what the church was doing. Um, and like, yes, we chose to leave, but there was also kind of a boot kicking us out at the same time. Um, I was very concerned that I was going to be church disciplined for the things I was saying online. Um And one of the elders there has made it clear that if I had continued speaking as I was online, that I would have been. Um, So I don't think there, there was no surprise. It wasn't, Oh my gosh, why they knew. Um, Well, you already actually, we can, we can start here because the, the phrase you used there was church disciplined, which will quickly explain what that is biblically but first we'll let you explain what it actually meant as far as when it was relayed to you what church discipline actually meant and looked like yes so basically um i think they probably would have said i was slandering the church um basically making them look bad because i wasn't saying anything that was a lie um and so they would have had you know someone would have confronted me um, and then if I had, if I didn't repent, then, um, several people would have confronted me. I'm sure an elder would have been involved. And then if I didn't repent after that, then it would be taken to the entire congregation. Um, and if I didn't repent after that, then I would be effectively excommunicated from the church. Um, and 
the other churches in the area weren't supposed to allow me to fellowship with them either. Um, I don't really know how that works in LA because it's so big. Um, There's like just a how, mass like, email sent out to anybody with pastor right? in their email yeah. in the LA area. Wanted yeah, posters. Really? Wanted posters. Oh, no, that would work. That would actually be kind of cool, honestly. If we had excommunicated posters that just got stuck up <laughs> everywhere. You'd be on a couple of them, right? <laughs> oh, I, I'm sure I'd be on. I'd be on a few milk cartons around around the country. At this point. But you know, part of what you know, what you just highlighted there is the biblical setting, or not setting, biblical, I guess, checklist of what what church discipline is supposed to look like. It's out of Matthew 18, yes. and it it walks through multiple different steps. So the first step is just. Co- personal confrontation saying, Hey, I see you doing this. It's a problem. You need to stop. If you say no to that, then normally they go and they get two more people. They come back. Hey, you need to stop. Still not. They go back at that point. Then it's normally the, the more leadership of the church that comes say, Hey, you need to stop. And this is why still refuse. Then it goes to the entire congregation to call you to the carpet saying, Hey, it's affecting us what you're doing here, repent or not, you don't. And then at that point you are cut off and says to treat, treat them as if they are an unbeliever. Yes. Now this is where in our conversation, it, there's a couple of things that come up with this within our conversation. But the first part of this that we need to talk about is the fact of why cutting them off and treating them as an, a non-believer what the purpose of that actually is because the whole point is first of all if this is if you're doing church disciplines because the person you are disciplining has sinned and it's an unrepentant sin that is hurting the whole body in this case which will already say that i have a problem with the fact that they said it would have been slander because it would have been libel and we've gone over this i don't know how many times <laughs> your know. legal term just saying it would not be slander it'd be libel I mean, come on. Now, with that being said, if that is what they're saying, this is the sin, you have slandered the body. They come to you, you say, no, all these other things. The purpose of cutting you off is because of the fact that you should have even not just the spiritual connection of, oh, you haven't been cut off from the body of Christ. There is somewhat of an emotional connection connection and response to being cut off from the fellowship. I was absolutely going to say that in that it's like an ostracization and like punishment of being cut off from your community. Um, And I will say that I think that that church has done that. Um, there have been times that church discipline has been done for good reason. I know of cases that it's like, yes, that person needed to get kicked out for reals. Um, but I think it also is an ostracization um, tactic, a manipulation tactic uh, to try and get people to comply with their demands. And before we get to that, Brother Matthew is in the chat and, you know, doing his normal thing. But he wants one of the milk cartons with the excommunicated in our picture on it. So ask him what flavor milk he wants. And yeah, we'll, we'll work on it now. You know, part of what you said there is that there when it's done correctly. The emotional response 
and the spiritual response mixed together should draw somebody to repentance, which is actually the meaning of treat them as an unbeliever is that you are wanting to see them be reconciled back to God. Mm -hmm. First to God, then to us. That is the whole point of doing this. If that's not the point, it's not church discipline. It's just discipline. The other thing that you said, though, is that when it's done so in a way that is not related to sinfulness, is done more so due to a disagreement, or it's done due to a power play, or it's done due to a misunderstanding, that the cutting off is not one that draws people into reconciliation. Instead, it draws people to ostracization. And I think the other part that we've, I believe, talked about on air in the Matthew 18 there as well is it's if they listen to you, you have won them over. Right. It's not a, did they agree on your point that you were trying to prove? <laughs> right. It's not even about proving a point. <laughs> yes. It's about reconciliation. You know, we talked about this with agreed to disagree. Mm-hmm. The goal of a disagreement among believers should be to see reconciliation. Yes. And so that way we can worship together and we can be of one, one, you know, one faith, one love, one baptism. That's, that's the whole point of doing this. So them listening to you is a sign that there is still a relationship there. Them listening to you and saying, okay, I'll think about it means that not only is there a relationship there with you, but that you are now trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to do his job. Them listening to you and saying, okay, I need to at least... I need to at least start the process of making amends, even if it's not a one, one step process. That's, you know, it going the Michael Scott route, it's a win, 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 you know, because we all win. (laughs) That, that is the goal of Matthew 18, but that's not the way that we always hear or see it used. But the bigger picture for us is that that cutting off of the body does actually give us the an, an emotional turmoil and everything like that because of the fact that it is our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we then go beyond that when it is a situation where it is you've been ostracized, not disciplined? What is the actual process that we should be going towards to see that hurt start to heal? What do we think? Brandon, we'll start with you. Are you saying as like a congregation or as a one-on-one individual of believers? We're, we're talking about us specifically here. If we have been ostracized from a church, a church family, we have to leave. Whether it's we've been ostracized and we have been kicked out or we have been ostracized and we no longer can stay. Mm-hmm. Because that's a whole nother part of this. And you even said... That was actually more so your story before the church discipline stuff even took took effect. Because you already were like, we're, we're withdrawing our membership. When that sort of feeling comes in of we have to leave, whether it's because we're forced out or we have to, we just have to leave. How do we go about the healing process within this? What, what should this actually look like? Yeah, great question. I think that's really challenging and different for everybody as well. Right. But I would say one of the things is you do feel alone in that moment. So if you're able to have any sort of community to be alongside you um, and be there with you, I think of Job with his three friends, 
whether their advice was correct or not is another debate, <laughs> but they were at least there for him and in that pain that he was experiencing. And I think that can be huge, but also not everybody has that, especially in that 2020, 21 period that we were at. Um, so knowing who of who God is of being the Prince of Peace and being at peace with what the Holy Spirit had put on your heart to either continue to push into of what you felt like was was truth or just this hurt that you see from God of that's not who I call I did not put that hurt on you like that's not what I had for you and just living in God's peace um, that takes time as well but I think that's helpful to slowly regain our identity again in Christ versus what other people might put on us and that's where we start getting mm-hmm. to the deconstruction topic a little bit more and we'll we'll get there in a second one thing you did say that does need to actually be highlight a little bit is that those of us that dealt with this during 2020, 2021, it was a much different experience than people that had had that happen before and that is have happening after because communities already were somewhat divided and breaking up in that point already. And so having those connections, having the friends, which we'll deal with Job's friends here in a little bit, actually, <laughs> that was a, that was something that was on the list. And we'll deal with them in a little bit here. But the the idea of having a community that is still there does go a long way in starting the healing process, as long as we're also refocusing into Christocentric, mm-hmm. Christ-centered, this is where our identity lies. Now, Meg, before you answer Brother Matthew answered your question. He says he wants whole milk because just like the truth, he wants it all. So I, I guess that... We'll work on it. I'll see what local farm we can find. It. Yeah, you know, I guess that gets this. Um, so, Meg, for you and your family, what was this process like of how do we... Not necessarily how do we heal, but how do we start the process of moving forward? Oh, um... So with my situation, um, I feel like it was also compounded because not only was um, my community that I had spent 12 years, 13 years building was just like ripped away. But also uh, my mother had passed away in early 2020. Um, I was having some really difficult um, relational issues with my family in regards to politics and disagreement in politics. So I wasn't really talking to my immediate family either. Um, and if it, if I was, it was very like um, tense because, you know, grace community ties, like uh, they were, they were aligned with grace community and like COVID response and all that. Um, and then also just realizing like, Oh, I also can't be a Republican anymore. So all of these like major identifiers were just gone. Um, And so I, it was really difficult to figure out like how to move forward from there. And honestly, um, I think it was like, I did, I just didn't have, I had a few friends who I had randomly discovered on Facebook who had either gone to masters or I'd known from my past childhood who I happened to we happened to be on the same divide I felt like there was this divide among Christians and I found myself on the opposite divide of everybody that I knew and so I found a couple people 
And I just kind of like clung to those people. And I would, sometimes I talked to them every day. I'd vent to them. Um, we encourage each other as much as we could, but it was a very, very lonely time. This was like, I would say like the 20, 2021, that time that you're talking about where everything was kind of splintering apart. You couldn't really find communities because we weren't supposed to be like with other people anyways. Um, it to redevelop, um, and rebuild a community, um, I feel like was almost impossible in that time. And I think especially leaving a church community, at least in mine, it was, you were very, very encouraged to build your community at the church and nowhere else. You're supposed to be, you know, at every function, you're supposed to be in fellowship group, Bible study, small group. Um, you should be serving and using your gifts in like every possible way. So your whole life is just centered around this church. And whether that was a conscious or subconscious thing, I don't know. But I think it discourages people from leaving because their whole life is wrapped up in one community and they don't want to like lose that. And so I think a lot of people and I know people who would have agreed with with my stance on COVID and, and all that stuff who decided to stay because that was their life and their community and they couldn't handle losing that. And I'm curious, too, if again, given the times, it might have been challenging if you had either people that you had talked to that were outside of the church or even unbelievers and what their perspective was on either what you were personally experienced or just the whole <laughs> uproar of the process. <laughs> yeah. What, God. what was that experience like from your conversations with them? I had several friends who were unbelievers, extended family members. Um, and they were honestly like encouraging me like, wow, you're really like taking a stand against like, issues like maybe we've seen for a while from the outside um good for you like encouragement not in a oh you need to like leave the church or leave christianity like i didn't get encouragement like that but like thank you for speaking out about loving other people and honestly i felt like a lot of my unbelieving family members acted like i expected the Christians were to act in selflessness and consideration of others during that time. And that was a mind trip too, to be like, Oh, interesting. What's going on here. And, and part of what you're highlighting here, both with the encouragement to not leave the, not, not leave the church in terms of to find, find community and support. Versus even then what you found outside of the church of where, you know, the, what you're talking about is what the people outside of the church was expecting to hear from Christians and were not. Yeah. This really goes into, you know, we, I, I don't know how often we've talked about since you've come on. It was talked about a lot more before you came on. Um, that's just coincidence, not because of you. Um, <laughs> is, is the paradigm, it's the Roman versus Celtic evangelism styles. And so what this is, is different philosophies and what the church's purpose is in evangelism. The Roman style of evangelism is we build the big fort. We fortify ourselves from the barbarians outside. And if people want to enter the fort, 
they must assimilate into our community before we allow them in. And that was the model that we saw in the U.S. for a long time. Yes. And in a lot of cases, it's still the model that a lot of churches are still expecting to use. This is part of the reason why we hear from people is why they don't go to churches because, well, I don't fit in there. <laughs> because I smoke, I chew, I, I cuss, all these other things. How can I go in there until I'm already fixed? The Celtic style of evangelism, which is what we promote all the time on here, even if we don't actually use the words. Yeah. It's the 5B model of belong, believe, baptize, behave, become. Of you must, be, you should belong to the community before you even start to believe. You mm -hmm. should feel like you belong here. There's mm -hmm. relational value. There's familial value. And then because of that, and because of the fact that we are a community of faith and we are a Christocentric community, the questions start to be asked. The walls start to break down. The spirit does his job. He's drawn to repentance and he believes and then he is baptized. And after he is baptized and the Holy Spirit is able to actually depart on him. Then at that point, behavior starts to change. You know, we've talked about this multiple times already this season. Romans 12, transforming of mind. Mm -hmm. Galatians with the fruit of the spirit. Galatians with the gifts or Ephesians with the gifts, Romans with the gifts, first Corinthians with the gifts, all those places where Paul talks about the gifts, you know, all of those things happen after the spirit has come, not before. And then once that, once the behavior changes, then they become part of the, they, they become disciples at that point. But when you don't have that kind of model, that's when unfortunately you run the risk of having these sort of, crises when the community does get divided of where who do we follow now mm -hmm. because before we could even come in we had to already look like what this church was saying we were supposed to look like now one of the comments we got on here was this idea the and um from a patreon member um sheila carl she said you're talking about healing hurt the bigger issue is not letting the hurt become angry. When you are hurting, you usually keep it to yourself. When you are angry, it can become vocally destructive. And then others in your community or church begin taking sides. It goes from hurt to anger and brings division. And that is part of what the original question I asked both of you that you didn't actually answer, which is okay. <laughs> don't worry. Half the time, nobody actually answers the right question. That's fine. Shout out to brother Matthew again. You know, the, the question of what is the goal of us moving forward? The goal of us moving forward should be reconciliation, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the goal of, of us as believers should be when disagreement comes, whether it's we've been hurt or we have hurt others. Doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. And especially in a case where your entire community is, is gone, anger is going to come in. Yes. It's what we do with it. And this is where we're going to test your knowledge to see if you remember back to when we talked about this. What is our responsibility first when we are the ones that have been hurt? Ooh, good question. Um, I was going to say go... Now, before we can go back to them, remember, we've been cut off. Well, I was going to say, go to, the, go to the Father. 
Go to Christ, God. Go to God and do what? Pray for forgiveness. For? For, I'm trying to say. It's real fun watching his head spin. That's part of why we <laughs> I was going to say way. between the relationship between you and them or their relationship between them and God as well. It's all of the above, right? Yeah. We are asking for forgiveness because forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about us. We forgive because we've been forgiven. But we forgive also because when we don't forgive is when what Sheila was talking about starts to happen. Hurt does become anger and anger becomes hate and hate brings suffering. Shout out Yoda. <laughs> right? That's yes. you know that's what he that's that's what Yoda says, but that is what we see happen when we let it bottle up. But when we release that to the Father, whether the other person is ready to see it or not or hear it or not, reconciliation can take place. If not between you and the other person, at least between you and the Father and you being able to worship the Son, that can still happen. Mm -hmm. But that's very hard to do, especially when your entire identity of faith has been shattered. And when you don't feel heard. Again, we're going back to Matthew 18. Again, the part of being listened to. When When you're not being heard, then... I think that gossip starts to creep in a little bit more of you want somebody to talk to and be honest and real about sometimes, but how do you do that without gossiping about a community or a group of believers? And that can be challenging. And, and we're back to Job's friends. This is why I said, we're going to get to Job's friends because Job's friends thought that they were doing Matthew 18. Granted, not Matthew 18 because it wasn't written, but yeah. Matthew 18 of we're going to go and we are going to show you the error in your ways and you should repent. But the problem was there was no error in Job's ways. That was at least what the friends were talking about. Mm-hmm. God later showed him there was, which yeah. is, again, yeah. the whole reconciliation uh, there. Oh, you must have sinned. Or your, yeah. your children must have done something wrong. Your children did something wrong. You did something wrong. Because this sort of thing doesn't happen to people that haven't done something wrong that in many different ways is what we're talking about. When we talk about the gossip side of things, they assumed based off of what they were seeing that they knew the full thing. And so they were going to share it regardless of if it was true or, and if it was going to actually hurt Job or Job's wife, we, we on our side, when this happens have to be willing to forgive Because of the fact that the more that we are hurt throughout this, the more that the anger is going to seep in. Now, Meg, part of what your story also includes, though, is another piece to all of this as far as the fact that because of the fact that your entire faith, your entire faith was shattered in leaving this community you then had to piece it back together after. So I guess the first question actually is what was it that actually made you decide you wanted to piece it back together? I think it was two people. Um, my husband um, who 
his faith really wasn't rocked by leaving and like kind of watching him work through it um honestly really helped ground me and like he kind of helped me think through it because he'd been seeing stuff for years um that was just off about the church um so where he grew up his family was there he was happy going there but there were things that he's like mm, red flags so um he also and i had i said this on twitter where we were having a de uh, cons uh, a conversation about deconstruction and somebody was being critical about it and i said imagine if you had not had the space or the opportunity to do any renovations for decades and then all of a sudden the house is just crumbling around you um but if you had had the time to do the renovations and the support to do those renovations when something a crisis happened it wouldn't crumble and i feel like my husband had the opportunity to work through things his parents were more open-minded. He went to a secular university. He had space to work through and, and create his own faith that wasn't so reliant on the pastor. Um, he also, being male, had more freedom to think for himself in that community, right? Um, and so he really helped keep me grounded. And also um, one of my other friends from Masters who I had found, who I was really, really good friends with in the music department, also going through similar um, heartbreak with American Church and all of that, um, helped keep me grounded. And one of the things that he said um, was that Christ will, it's, it's the, I don't remember the exact reference, um, but a brood, a bruised reed, he will not break. Um, and that really, like, I hell, I clung to that so hard. Um, and I did consider leaving. I did consider, you know, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe this whole thing is just trash. I don't know. Um, because whatever is going on in the community that I trusted, I don't want to be a part of it. So is there anything else that exists? Because I, I don't know. Because I wasn't allowed to see it. Everything else was wrong. So if what I was told was right is actually really wrong, then is it just all wrong, right? Um, but having the space away from my community and talking to other people and wrestling with it, I realized, no, I don't want to leave. I want to stay. I don't want to lose Jesus um, because he is who I want to be like. When I think of like, what kind of person do I want to be? It's like Jesus. It always has been. That part hasn't changed. It's just all the extra stuff that needs like the secondary issues, I, I guess, that need renovation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, That's, you know, deconstruction. Yeah. So, And you might not have an answer to this, but we've talked about this in sometimes our small group where us as Christians, we try our best to give advice again, even with Joe's <laughs> friends. And we want, especially as males, we want to try to fix things. And so we just give advice whether you want it or not. <laughs> um, and part of it will have biblical truth 
to it, even though it might not be what you want to hear and or effective at that moment. Was there anything that you reflect back on either a conversation with someone where they were speaking biblical truth and it was hurtful in that time, but then maybe as you've reflected back on it in the rear view mirror, you're like, wow, I really needed to rest on those words. I really needed to hear that even though I didn't want to. Like I said, you might not have a specific conversation to that. I'm just curious because it's something we've talked about before, but we don't know how to have those conversations. Yeah, I think um, conversations surrounding grief and loss are difficult for Christians to handle. I think it's so difficult for anybody, but especially the community that I was in, a lot of people just want to slap that scripture verse on there and just be like, okay, you're good now. Um, instead of really like sitting with the person and grieving and um, with the person. Um, but I can't really remember a specific conversation. Um, I think a lot of people um, tried to help. Um, and um, I actually got a question about that is, was everybody at the church hostile or were there people who were kind? And there were people that I think were really trying to help. Um, but it just was not the right um, help. <laughs> yeah. And, and that really is, is part of where we're going to go as we start closing this whole conversation down. Is that because of the fact that this does end up normally, normally, the forcing out or the having to leave a church is either the beginning or the ending of a deconstruction reconstruction period most of the time especially post-COVID, post-2020, that is the case. Again, not always, most of the time. Because of that, it does kind of, it does kind of change the perspective a little bit as far as the advice that we need versus the discipleship that we need. And a lot of the times, the people that are trying to give advice should be the ones actually providing the discipleship. Mm. And the ones trying to to provide the discipleship are the ones that are just trying to give advice. That's the hard thing for us that have not either have not gone through it or that went through it and didn't ever process it. That's the hard thing for people to understand. This is Job's friends, right? Mm -hmm. Job did not need his friends to be doing discipleship with him. He needed comfort and needed advice on how do I rebuild my life here when it seems like God has just straight up cursed us. That's not what he got. You know, even when we look at, you know, um, in John 4, Jesus, after he tells the woman everything that he's told her and she goes back to the town and the disciples come back. All the disciples care about is like, Oh, well, we need to be helping you. We need to be giving you bread. You need more water. You need this, this, and this. He's like, no, this is not what it's about. You need to just sit and listen. But they could not grasp the fact that maybe this was an opportunity just to sit and listen. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I've talked about this. Corey has also shared the same sort of thing as far as with, with Dr. Linville in relation to after 
um, after we lost Carson and Corey had said he had this, a similar conversation with Greg as well after loss of a child for them as well is the fact that the thing that Greg said was on the phone was I am here. I'm on the phone and now I'm shutting up. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And this is the guy that had been doing the majority of the discipleship for me and was the one that was the only one walking through besides my wife walking through the forcing out from two different churches that we were on staff with. But when it came time, he recognized immediately of you need to talk and I just need to be here. Because that was the the time that was needed. Mm-hmm. We didn't need a big theological speech. We didn't need anything other than just somebody to say, I'm actually here now. And the hard thing when we talk about leaving a church is that sometimes when we do leave church, there aren't anybody else here to talk, to do that. Which is why the important thing is to, and sometimes, you know, the important thing and the thing that we are always saying as to what our goal should be is to center back in on Christ. Because he will actually be there and he will listen. Mm -hmm. And when Christ is at the center, we are going to be able to at least find some things to rebuild. Now, Meg, we're going, I think there were two other questions that we had for you here um, that came in through the anonymous tip line. Um, <laughs> probably the same anonymous tip line that, you know, made me end up on a milk carton. Um, so let's see. Uh, well, one of the questions that came in that was not through the anonymous tip line that I guess actually would be a good one to start with here. Having been through this whole emotional time, well, actually, we're going to ask you a, a different question first here. Do you actually feel like you are at a place now where you are in a recon, you've reconstructed and are now looking forward, or are you still in a rebuilding hurt phase? Because this is something that gets thrown around from both sides at you online all the time. Set the record straight. Where do you actually feel like you personally are at with all of this? That is a great question. And that was actually, I wanted uh, to talk about that because of how many accusations I get online about how much I hate John MacArthur and I hate Grace Community and, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, first of all, I don't hate them. And I am not even, I mean, there is a righteous anger and like frustration in what happened and being taught something very specific about sacrificial love. And that not seeing that carried through. So I think there'll always be a pang there of like betrayal. But um, I also like understand more now what was going on in their heads at the time. Because I was so shocked. This will kind of tie into what um, Sheila's asking too. Is like, um, would I handle it uh, differently today? Um, I was just so shocked. And taken off guard by the whole thing um that i think i would have been calmer um if i were to handle it the same way today i wouldn't have been as just 
surprised and I don't think I would have been as hurt. Um, but I think that I still would have said the same things, maybe a little bit more grace sprinkled in there. Um, but I think I still would have handled it very similarly. I wished I had been a little bit more, um, felt a little bit more in control. Um, I felt very like lost and kind of adrift. Um, but I do feel like I am entering a healing um, stage now and ready to, and I have been rebuilding, but just to continue to rebuild, um, ready to perhaps try to seek out um, a physical church to attend um, in perhaps this summer um, in our new town and just kind of moving on. Um, there will always be, I mean, it was just, it's such a big loss. It's always going to kind of be a hole there. Um, but the Lord has been very gracious to land us in a very beautiful place, uh, where we're all thriving and just kind of seeing that has been really healing just in and of itself. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but, um, in a sense, I think my deconstruction will continue for a long time because of just how entrenched I was. And I think I will be constantly reevaluating things that I believe um, and learning um, things, new new things that I just didn't know um, before. But I think I'm definitely in a rebuilding stage and a healing stage. Like I'm in a much, much better place emotionally now. Um Time does help, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I probably need therapy too, <laughs> but, uh, well, and well, um, not, not the therapy part. That's not what we're getting <laughs> to. The, um, the, you know, one of the other questions that was asked, cause we answered one of the questions already and the other question we answered throughout this thing, but there was one other question that we asked and before we actually ask it part of what you were just talking about there, as far as, you know, the fact that there's hurt, there's a hole and that you feel like maybe now that you're on the other side, mm -hmm. that you would not change anything that you said, just the way that you said it or the attitude going about it and all these other things. That realization is part of how we know in terms of the people that actually are listening to you. That is part of how we know the difference between what the haters are saying about you online compared to where you're actually at. Hmm. Because what you just said there is admit the fact that there, there were times where you responded more so in anger than in what we would refer to as holy discontent. What you referred to <laughs> earlier as the whole idea of the, the righteous anger. Mm -hmm. There were times where that had happened. Yes. And you feel like the message is still the message that needed released, just maybe not yes. in the right way. That is what it looks like to actually walk through this process from a healing standpoint to the point of where you are both asking for forgiveness from the father for yourself and forgiveness for the people that you are talking about. Because it's not about you at this point, because you already admitted that, yes, I handled some of these things wrong. This is one of the things that, um, you know, you and I, I, I don't remember if this was on air or not. I know you and I have had this discussion multiple <laughs> times of uh, the fact that, you know, therapy, going back to what you said, 
was not a good option for me at all because mm -hmm. the therapist could not understand anything that we were just talking about. They just couldn't. It was it was not comprehensible for them to see how these sort of things could happen. But one of the things that my wife and I had done after all of these things was we did actually sit down with Dr. Linville to actually look at these things and say, okay, what this is what had happened. This is what we did. This is what everybody is saying. Are we actually the problem here or not? Because if we are, we need to be able to make the change. And if we're not, we need to be able to say we were not and we move forward. And it was only after we had done that we were able to actually move forward. And that is something that we we desperately need to get back to in all of these different areas regarding deconstruction, reconstruction, leaving a church, staying at a church, even the idea of whether or not we reintegrate pastors that have hurt somebody is this kind of conversation needs to actually be have happening and taking place of, okay, where actually did this all go wrong? This is actually what Matthew 18 is designed to actually be, is if the two people coming together can't reach an agreement, and then three people with them cannot reach an agreement, eventually the entire congregation comes together to be able to come to the conclusion of what has actually happened with the goal of Brandon reconciliation, reconciliation to each, to God mm -hmm. and then to each other. And when that actually happens, even if the church splits, because we talked about this in agree to disagree, sometimes the church will still split. Sometimes people will go off, but when they go out, they can still all be able to be reconciled together before the throne when it calls for it. And that is what we do not see a lot of anymore. Yeah. And just the quick recap of the story with my wife and I, I guess more of the end. So the recap was um, there was more of the church split more than anything. And I was fairly young as far as like still in college at that time. I still, I'll say new within figuring out faith within a church setting and how to be a leader within a church. Um, and so a lot of things were ripped apart quickly and having to make decisions. And so I tried to handle it well between God and others and seeking counsel. But I guess at the end of the day, I didn't know how I had fully handled it. Um, and so for then a couple years later to have the head pastor, like reach out to me and say like, Hey, I am sorry for how I handled that was like huge relief for myself. And then even that who would have been the current pastor from, for me to go to her and say, Hey, I apologize for if I wronged you in any ways. And to also hear of like, no, you did not. And there's like some freedom in that too. Mm -hmm. But again, not everybody has that opportunity for that reconciliation, but I'll say like, I saw more love and faithfulness in their relationship with Christ and even my own for that reconciliation to finally, I guess, come full circle and yeah, it felt good at least to have that side from even just between myself and God. And, and now, mate, we're going to ask you, um, this was one of the questions that came in related to 
the the anonymous questions. And we're going to ask the second part of the question because the first part of the question you already answered both on here and you've answered it multiple times online. So if you still don't think she answered that part of your question, whoever asked it, just go look through the Twitter feeds. But <laughs> part of what was asked was what would repentance actually look like from GCC? I'm going to reword it though and say, what would reconciliation for your family with GCC actually look like? And is that something you actually would want to have happen? And before you think you have to answer a certain way, you don't, because another question that came in will answer why it doesn't matter which way you answer it. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going in order now. Okay. Um, So... There is, that's a loaded question. Um, yes, it is. It is. Um, and I've been clear online as well. It hasn't really come up uh, super often recently, but I would say a year ago, I felt like I was saying this every other day, is that um, I want reconciliation. Um, that is something that I would love. Um <sighs> So repentance, um, what what would that look like? Um, well, uh, apologizing to Elaine Gray, <laughs> actually like taking responsibility for um, the harmful things that the leadership has done um, and being transparent with what has actually happened at the church in regards to COVID. Um, those would be really great steps. And if I were to see those things happen, um, that would be really, really fantastic. Um, there, I've learned over the years that there are some times that relationships need to separate and that um, you just can't reconcile. And that that's okay as long as you've done what you need to do. Um, and you're following your conscience and your convictions um, and seeking to live with as much grace and love as possible, um, that it's okay that things aren't fixed um, and everything tied up with a nice bow. It's okay. And that God is powerful enough to heal those and provide reconciliation in his timing. I've seen it happen in my life. Uh, relationships that I thought were gone forever, um, God has magically brought back. So I know that it is possible, but I think that um, taking it to, to encapsulate everything, what would repentance and reconciliation look like is honestly just owning up to what's actually happened. And, That's and re- what it would be for me. <laughs> you know, the reason that I asked you as far as would you even be open to the reconciliation is because of the fact that, th- and this is what, um, I believe she's also a Patreon member, but I can't remember. No, she is not. This is not the Patreon member. Um, sorry, you're still valuable, but you're not the person I thought you were. But we're still <laughs> going to talk about your question because it's a good one for what we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. You know, How do you deal with people that say you have to reconcile with those who contributed to your spiritual trauma? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes make you feel like you have to reach out to them. And she clarified it also of... They sinned against me, but I was told I have to seek peace and reconcile. And 
part of what we have been discussing throughout this entire thing, and you just even talked about there, is the fact that the first step of this is that the forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about the person that is doing the forgiving. It's a release of the anger and putting it before the throne and allowing God to deal with it. You know, God does not leave accounts unsettled. All accounts will be settled at, they were either settled at the cross or they'll be settled post, you know, post whatever you want to call it, whether it's rapture or whatever you want to call it. At the throne of God is where everything is going to be settled, period, end of story. So us doing the forgiving and having a desire to see reconciliation does not necessarily mean that we have to actually trust or even want to actually have normal, same as it was before, types of relationships with the people that actually hurt us. What we, When we say that you should be reconciling is not a matter of everything goes back to the way it was before. It's a matter of every, all hearts are clear, to borrow the, the Quaker term, of I have, I have taken my pain and put it before the throne, and so now I can forgive you because God's forgiven me for the anger that I hold against you. And now what you decide to do with it is up to you, but my heart is clear and I am now praying that you be reconciled back to God, that you will do the same thing. And if that does mean eventually that we can actually have relationship again, great. If not, if we are doing this properly and our hearts are in the right spot and we are actually striving for Christocentric relationships, then we will be able to worship together before the throne in heaven. And that's going to be for a much longer time than any amount of time we have here. Mm -hmm. That is what reconciliation, when we're talking about you need to reconcile, should actually look like. It's not about everything going back to normal and now we all, you know, it's it's Wonka land. (laughs) It's about... Making sure that our hearts are in the right place because of the fact that we want to be like Jesus. And I just want to say, too, that forgiveness doesn't mean that there's going to be reconciliation either. Like you're saying, forgiveness is for the person doing the forgiving and letting that anger go. That doesn't mean that the person who sinned against you is off the hook, that you're not talking about what they did, that you're not calling them to repentance. I think that's what's used a lot, at least in conservative evangelicalism, is like, well, you need to forgive and shut up about this because that's the godly thing to do. Um, And that's like, no, that's not it either. Um, And so what your, uh, the YouTube comment about um, how do you deal with people who say you have to reconcile is that you're not going to reconcile until that other person is willing to admit that they were at minimum that they were wrong. Right. And that's my situation with the church as well, is they're not willing to admit that they're wrong. So there's not going to be any reconciliation. Now, ideally, it's going to be admitting they're wrong and repenting of their sin. Right. That's when that person has the capacity to become safe again for you to have a relationship with them. Although it may never look like it did before. 
Um, but there's nothing wrong with um, forgiving them, but you don't need to like seek them out. Um, you can just let God take care of that unless you feel like burdened on your heart that you need to like reach out to them and like apologize for something that you did or do something to clear your own conscience. But there's no, I don't believe that there's like, you have to reconcile with somebody who is refusing to own their, um, they're refusing to be reconciled. Yeah. Right. And, right. and and that that's the that's the side of it that gets lost, especially with all the craziness online. Is mm-hmm. that in order for there to be reconciliation, it has to be on both sides. Yeah. You know, it can't be a one sided thing. It has to be both sides. And and this is also where part of the whole thing as far as the well. You know, because we we well again, you unfortunately get thrown into it. So sorry, but they're more <laughs> coming at me of this idea of you guys are just upset about what the church did to you. Why don't you just mm-hmm. forgive and move on? Isn't that right. what we're called to do? Mm-hmm. Right. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to forgive. We are called to seek reconciliation with God and then with each other. But that does not mean that we continue to allow things to go the way they are. This is part of why we talk about the time the fact that we are targeting ideology, not people. Mm-hmm. Is because when the ideology stays, more people are getting ostracized and hurt. Right. And so we continue to have people being hurt that are now having to go through this entire hour and a half conversation added to the list. Because things are not actually being dealt with that need to be dealt with. And that is in a large part what we see. Granted, yours is quote unquote targeting a person, but it's not. It's targeting an ideology. Yeah. It's just that that ideology, one person put their name on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is what it that is what it is that we are talking about when we talk about how to go about the moving forward when you have that holy discontent to see it stop some people when this happens are not going to be in a position where they're going to be strong enough to say okay now we need to see it stop and that's okay if what god has for you is healing you know forgiveness reconciliation healing and then you find your peace with christ in a church somewhere else, that's great. You know, that's not necessarily what exactly, you know, it's going to look like for everybody. Mm -hmm. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to accept that that is the case because that is okay. You know, this, again, we're going back to Job's friends. Job's friends thought that there was only one option for this. Yeah, there wasn't the option that Job chose at the beginning was worship. The option that Job chose at the end after God reconciled each other with the sin that Job did have was, again, worship. Because that was what it looked like for Job. Job wasn't out there saying, okay, look at what the devil is doing, and so we now go to war against the devil. He was saying, look at how great Yahweh is. Mm -hmm. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. So, Meg, tell everybody where they can find you um, if they haven't already. <laughs> yes. I know. Or well, I know, let's right. we'll clarify where uh, you want people to find you. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I am most active on Twitter. It has um, been my favorite. So my handle is at underscore nomadic underscore soul. Um, I'm also, I also have an Instagram account called our nomadic souls um, because our nomadic soul was taken. Um, <laughs> See, I'm so, not the only Twitter... one that gets a little salty about that. <laughs> when the first one's when taken. The, when the one we wanted was taken. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, but Twitter is definitely like where you would find me. Um, I have a sub stack that you can um, subscribe to that's in my bio that I will get around to writing articles for eventually. Um, I say that also, and we know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, the blogs. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so you'll be able to find all of that on the website here once um, her episode actually is officially out because it's technically not officially happened yet. Um, it'll it'll be out on February fourteenth. Yep. Um, awesome. On all of the different audio channels and the video channels and all of that good stuff. Um, and then if you go to the Misfits website, mrmisfits.com, and then click on the, the guest portal, or maybe it's under resources, but there's a portal for guests. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be able to find the uh, all the information that you need to be able to get in touch with her on Twitter, on Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, the Substack link will be there as well. Brandon, what do we got? I'm trying to remember. If you would like to become a Patreon member, oh, yeah, we, Patreon. we've had a couple on here tonight. So thank you for joining in throwing in some questions. So thanks for all the participation there, but you can also become a member by visiting patreon.com backslash ministry misfits. Good job. Uh, yeah. Good I, job. I, I was Good debating. Job. I'm still, I see Meg. I always fight with Andrew if it's forward slash or backslash, but that's for another podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's, we've got four different levels set up there where you can get different exclusive things at those different Patreon levels. Also, we've got a... Which uh, Sheila just got her, her first batch of merchandise. So nice. she, she sent me a picture. She got her shirt the other day as well. So perfect. Yes. The Giving Bean. Yes. Giving Bean. All the different stores, actually, because I forgot to put all those links in. So, yeah. If you go to MrMisfits.com, click on... Or if you go to the shop tab, there's a merch shop. There's a Tikva shop. And then there's Giving... There's an affiliate shop and there's Giving Bean. So we've got a couple of different options there. Giving Bean, for those that don't know what it is, if you like coffee, tea, cocoa, cookies, all that. Chocolates. Chocolates, yeah. all that kind of stuff. If you go to our go to our website under affiliates and click on the Giving Bean link, it'll take you to the Giving Bean store where you can purchase different coffees, things like that. Yeah, and you get your K-Cups. K-Cups, all the good stuff. And it 25% um, of the profits from that comes back to Misfits. Um, there's also the affiliates for Buzzsprout, um, token creative, not Laird creative, but we didn't have time to remake the commercial. Um, all those good stuff, Buzzsprout, everything there. There's also the merch store. Go get your, your misfits merch. Um, up until March, there's just the, the normal stuff. We got some fun things we're going to throw in there for season three as well. Um, there's also the Tikva. Uh, Tikva shop, which is in the main shop as well. Um, Tikva tees, some of the different merchandise that we made um, with Rob the Elder, um, his his uh, freestyle Single, that he did yeah. as well. Um, money from those purchased in those shops, all the money goes back to our good friends over at Tikva um, for the work they're doing with the inner city kids around here. Um, oh, that's uh, what the other thing is. So those of you that are listening live on Tuesday, Meg will not be here. Instead, Prudy 
Mr. Mango himself is yeah. finally going to be able to be with us. And so we will have an episode with Prudy Ray talking Hindu nationalism yep. the caste and the system. caste system there in India and the theology behind all of that. Um, we're in the process. We're also hoping after Meg comes back um, that we will be with Joe Ash Thomas again, or at least I will be with Joe Ash Thomas yeah, again. Joe Ash, I'm sorry. It sounds like I don't like you, but I just happen to be gone the weekends that we're supposed <laughs> yeah. to record. <laughs> one, of, one of you has a problem that needs reconciled. I'm not sure which. My so, schedule. <laughs> yes. But yeah, Joe Ash will be back. We're going to be talking um, slaveholder theology um, related to all the stuff going on with the John Edwards debates and all of that fun stuff that we see on Twitter all the time. Um, so all of that is coming up. We are going to be closing down season two here at the end of February. Um, we're going to take a little break in March. If you are interested in potentially doing a misfit style Bible study with us, going through the book of Galatians, honestly covering a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight, even, um, going through the book of Galatians, let us know. We're going to have another button on Patreon here in the next, hopefully maybe even week or so. Um, for people that would like to sign up just for that side of what we're going to be offering with Patreon to do a Bible study um, during the month of March. Um, and uh, we're hoping to be able to find the right timing for all of that as well. We're still work. We're still reconciling schedules on that one as well. That's a constant. Right? Yeah, that's just a constant. So in the meantime, Meg, thanks for coming on. Finally, yes, we're able you. to do this. We're, uh, we're, Glad that you uh, were able to find find time with again schedules, um, with with everything, especially with the the time difference. Although your time difference is nothing compared to what we're dealing with with Prudy, um, <laughs> which this is something I did not know, and this is just a random comment to to end with, is that India is not just an hour, a couple hours ahead. It's actually ten and a half. Somehow it's actually. A half, a half? Yeah. Don't know why. Maybe Prudy can explain that to us. I didn't know that here. was possible. I oh didn't know it was possible either, but that's part of why it's been very difficult to try to get Prudy, Prudy scheduled with us. So anyway, okay. yeah, it's going to be fun. We will see you guys next week. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministrymisfits.